You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bo's Nose Show. And I'm your host, Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we come to you live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where the hustle and bustle is just amazing. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. So... Yeah, we got lots of things to talk about here on the Bo's Nose Show. Of course, you know, it's going to probably be dominated by COVID-19 sort of topics. But we'll talk about anything you want to talk about because, you know, what works best on the Bo's Nose Show are conversations. And you can get in on the show just by dialing 646-721-9887 and just press 1 so we know you want to get in on the show and not just listen. And uh, we'll pop you in here uh, as as soon as we know that you're a live person, maybe might have a little side conversation with Robin, my producer, uh, and then uh, we'll get you on the air as soon as we can kind of break and change over to, to your topic. So, and, and the beauty of internet radio is I don't have hard breaks like, um, you know, Lars Larson or Rush Limbaugh or any of the other talk shows. So I can, usually get people right on and I don't have to throw them off because we're coming up on a hard break. Uh, We'll let you finish your sentences, finish your arguments and finish your points. And we'll have a conversation here on the Bose No Show. Again, that number is 646-721-9887. And just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the Bose No Show here. So, the first thing I want to do on the Bose Nose Show today is say a huge thank you to Sponsors Inc., uh, the nonprofit that is allowing um, the Lane County uh, public health folks to use their um, tiny homes to uh, as isolation. Um, they, they just constructed a tiny home project that they haven't had anyone even live in yet. Um, to use those tiny homes for isolation um, for possible uh, people either tested positive for COVID or awaiting test results that are unhoused or homeless. Um, and there may be other reasons. You know, we may run into a situation where somebody is a suspected COVID positive and they're in an apartment with, you know, three other people, you know, that because that's the only way you can afford an apartment in Oregon nowadays under our, our land use and restricted um, uh, building codes and everything that may make them so damn expensive. And they don't have any place to go because they don't have local family or something like that. And no, and they they have a, a roommate roommate in their apartment and three and two other people in the, in the 
bedroom, you know, they're, they're four people living in a two-bedroom apartment, you know, that person might need someplace to isolate but can't afford to rent a hotel room to do so. Um, so having these um, ability to isolate people, which ultimately get the old uh, VA clinic that we purchased uh, refurbished, that will be the location we'll be doing that in. And there'll actually be more capacity than the, uh, the new tiny homes that uh, sponsors built. But I just have to say a big thank you to sponsors because they saved Lane County probably a huge legal headache. Because, um, you know, we were looking at the possibility of passing an ordinance that would have required hotels to take these people. And I have a feeling we'd have been in a, you know, some of these hotel owners are not exactly, um, you know, first time around the block, small business owners, they actually may own dozens of hotels and their big operations and have, you know, lawyers on retainer. <laughs> and I have a feeling they might have challenged our order forcing them to take people uh, as being unconstitutional. And um, probably is saving, you know, sponsors is probably saving Lane County uh, from a, a big mistake and, and a possible, you know, large legal bills um, by allowing us to withdraw that ordinance from our calendar and uh, which by the way I voted against even moving it forward in our calendar last last week and we talked about that last week um, I was the lone no vote uh, because I just felt it was you know basically unconstitutional it was also an unfair way to negotiate with those hoteliers and I think um, Sponsors, thank you so much. You saved Lane County a huge problem and a huge headache by stepping forward. And, and just so people know, that tiny home project was actually partially funded by Lane County. Uh, we put in a 200000 of the capital cost for those tiny homes. So, um, yeah, it's sort of a, what goes around comes around with that. Um, and, and, but it's still a big thing for them to step forward and allow us to use them because the only reason they hadn't moved people into them yet was they thought they might have to use them for some of their clients. Um, if, you know, because sponsors has a couple of several other projects that they, um, house people coming out of the prison system and, uh, help them reintegrate into society, which leads to their own sort of headaches because we all know that, you know, Shutter Creek is having a small problem down there in Coos County with COVID-19 because they transferred a prisoner from another facility who brought COVID with them. And now, you know, the Shutter Creek is a dormitory style, uh, low security housing for the state prison system. And, uh, that, that person ended up infecting many others and that's the only positive cases in Coos County all surround around either inmates in that facility or staff to that facility. Um, so I'm sure that the Coos County folks are all like, thank you, state of Oregon uh, Department of Corrections um, for bringing COVID into our community uh, in a big way. <laughs> but it, you know, for sponsors, some of those people in Shutter Creek are scheduled to be released down to them um, it, for their transitional housing. So they're kind of also looking at, um, they may need to quarantine those people for 14 days 
as they release from that facility. So it's a complicated thing. And, I, you know, it, it's going to be really interesting, uh, particularly as the governor is now asking state agencies to go through an exercise of uh, what would they do to achieve an 8.5% budget cut for this biennium. Now, mind you, there's only a year left in the biennium, so that means they're going to have to cut 17% out of their second-year spending. So Department of Corrections, everybody's included in that. Everybody's been asked about an across-the-board 8.5% haircut for the biennium. So that also translates down to Lane County as 25% of Lane County's budget is state funding that's passed down to us. So, you know, that 17% cut of that 25% for Lane County is somewhere around, you know, a four and a quarter percent cut to our budget on top of everything else we're going to have to deal with. The lack of transient room taxes, the lack of car rental taxes coming into our parks department, the lack of fees coming into our parks department, the lack of rental um, income coming into the Lane Events Center, um, and multiple other areas that we're going to be short funding um, in, in this, you know, even even one of my concerns is no one's driving, so there's not a whole lot of gas being sold in this state. What's happening to gas tax revenues that also get distributed back to counties and cities, um, and that's part of our um, road fund uh, income and whether we're going to have to make some adjustments in our road road fund also. You know, and this is on top of the fact that the federal government has basically um, walked away from its responsibilities relative to their federal forest payments. And what they give to us is a, um, a small amount compared to what historically had come into the county from those federal forests. So um, sponsors has got some, some things to, to be concerned about. The Department of Corrections has things to be concerned about. And on top of all that, they made available something that helped Lane County not have to deal with a big, big issue. And hopefully we can quickly get that VA clinic that we purchased um, refurbished um, and up to speed. We have to um, in, uh, install a new um, heating, heating and air conditioning system in that. And um, we also have to put some showers in there. So once we have that done, we can get people living there um, that are COVID positive or suspected COVID positive and actually have them isolated in their own separate rooms. Um, and it will be, you know, a place that we can staff with people that are used to dealing with, with um, uh, those, the homeless populations, not some hotels staff. <laughs> that has no experience in dealing with that um, and no medical background. So we'll be staffing that with, with both the medical and social service professionals that are used to dealing with those folks. So thank you sponsors. You saved Lane County a huge headache. Um, and uh, you also probably saved my fellow commissioners from having to take a vote that might have been um, something that would cause them to not get reelected because I have a feeling that there was enough um, concern about that issue of, of forcing a private business uh, to take business, so to speak, um, 
on a lot of people that that would have really been if if it had passed whoever had voted in favor would have had some serious questions to answer on re-election so um thank you sponsors you probably saved some people's re-election efforts <laughs> so i'm going to shift gears a little bit and again i'm going to remind everybody once again this is a call-in show 646-721-9887 and you can Talk about whatever you want, whether it's sponsors, the Department of Corrections, the state budget, Lane County's budget, um, whatever you want to talk about. is It's a free-for-all here on the Bose Nose Show. Um, we can talk about my standard poodles, um, anything you want. Talk about this shirt I'm wearing, which I'm wearing in honor of the construction industry. It doesn't come off really well on my, my with the lighting and camera, but it's one of those... Uh, super bright green and yellow shirts that the construction guys wear on the side of the road. And it's, uh, it was given to me by a friend of ours that owns a large industrial crane company. That's what the DBL is actually located on the East coast. Um, sent me one of those. I also like the fact it's got an American flag on it, uh, but I can't say enough about our construction industry here in Oregon that was allowed. Fortunately, and there was a lot of lobbying to keep it this way because there were folks that wanted to close them down, quote, as non-essential, um, was deemed a, an essential industry. And um, those guys are still out there working. And fortunately, keeping and that's keeping a lot of families in paychecks and thus keeping them able to, to get carry out food and, and keep other people in paychecks. Um, you know, keeping that construction industry up and running. I just want to say thank you to that to the construction folks because um, it's really um, great that you're still out there working. Of course, construction is a pretty easy industry to keep social distancing. You know, it's pretty hard for the guy on top of the backhoe to catch COVID-19 from the guy that's, um, you know, got the shovel and maybe hauling pipe around or something like that or the flagger standing 500 yards down the road. <laughs> And for the most part, you know, if they are kind of working indoors, half the time they're working sanding or with insulation or something else, you know, dangerous where they're already wearing at least eye protection, sometimes dust mask, more often than not gloves. So, you know, these guys are used to wearing, uh, you know, PPE. And in fact, um, most, uh, you know, yards and stuff like that you can't even drive into them unless you have a hard hat and and uh safety glasses so um you know pretty easy for those guys to maintain social distancing and what i'm really happy about is not hearing the kind of stories that came out of washington state who chose to deem construction non-essential with the exception of public construction projects which included the ice hockey arena in Seattle. I have no idea why an ice hockey arena is essential and somebody's home that was partially completed. And by the way, they've already sold their existing home and have a, have a settlement date set up and, and, and really have to have the other one done to move in. It, that sounds a lot more essential to me to keep that home being built. Not to mention, prior to this whole COVID-19 thing, what was the biggest issue in the state of Washington and the state of Oregon? Housing. 
and you really were going to put a halt to the housing industry during this and consider it non-essential. I don't know what the governor Inslee was thinking up there, but he did. He put a stop, and, and finally he's lifting some of those construction bans, you know, industry bans. But it played hell on a lot of people's lives. It didn't need to have that happen. Because we, as I mentioned in a Facebook post I put up yesterday, poverty is a far greater indicator of poor health outcomes in the long run than smoking and obesity are, believe it or not. And this is documented by the Mailman School for Public Health of Columbia University in New York. So, and, and if anyone knows, Columbia University is not exactly what I would call a conservative university. But they have documented poverty is a bigger driver of poor health outcomes. Why? Stress, poor eating because they can't afford, you know, the right foods, um, stress, you know, stress is a huge, you know, depressor of your immune systems and everything else. Also means you don't get preventative care a lot of times, so things go too far because you can't afford it. Really bad for your health. So adding to the unemployment roles by banning private construction from continuing to work during this crisis, Governor Inslee is actually causing a, a health crisis in the long run for those families that may not make it through this. You know, the unemployment may not be enough if they could get their checks. The, the small mom and pop construction businesses and the private side, I mean, I, you know, I was in the middle of trying to finish a uh, new garage uh, on my property during this whole thing. And, you know, I had subcontractors doing work out here like Reynolds Electric um, was doing the electric installation in this. I brought in Marshall's heating to insulate the garage. I've got a one man show doing the painting. Now, if he wasn't allowed to keep doing his painting and you know, you want to talk about social distancing, he does it by himself. And of course, if he's using a spray gun, he's got a mask on. If he's sanding, he's got a mask on, you know, that sort of thing. But having a one man business completely shut down, do you think he would survive six, eight weeks into this? You know, so it's so important that these businesses that can and, and, and do operate safety be allowed to opt, continue to operate. And those that can demonstrate the same thing should be allowed to reopen. So I want to get to a little map that went along with that post. And, uh, and just note for folks, and I think uh, Robin's been able to put this up on the screen if you're watching on Facebook Live. But it's a map of all the counties of Oregon. And it basically shows that a lot of these counties have had very few cases. There are two numbers in each county, the number of cases and the number of deaths. And you see a bunch of those counties have a zero on that second number. In fact, 25 out of the 36 counties in Oregon have had zero deaths. Think about that for a minute. And that means 
you know, those areas really haven't been hit. Of course, some of them, you know, Harney and Grant County are not what I would call large population bases. And you want to talk about, you know, there they, they, they talk about how many people per, how many square miles per person there are instead of how many people there are in a square mile. <laughs> uh, so not very populated counties. Um, and, and so they naturally social distanced. And you know, one of the things that's shown up about this is that the most hammered places are the most densely populated places in the U.S. New York City, you know, upstate New Jersey, um, those are getting hammered by this because of the inability to socially distance from each other, um, which you know, get, leads to another subject we'll talk about maybe a little bit later on in the program is, what does this whole COVID-19 thing mean for the long-term future of land use planning in the state, which is driving us towards high-density development and, and, and driving us towards a future built environment in Oregon that is going to have people crammed together and not able to social distance? You know, it's basically an anti-single-family home land use system. But I digress. Let's get back to those numbers on the counties, particularly when you look at Lane County and have to understand a little geography here. Lane County is a big damn county, but only a small portion of it sits in the Willamette Valley. You know, kind of the, the central northern portion of the county is Willamette Valley. The rest of it's either Coast Range, Foothills and Cascade um, Mountains, um, or it's the actual coast. Um, so there's really a lot of the county that's outside of Eugene and Springfield that sits in the Willamette Valley. 48 of our 50 cases in Lane County were located in the Eugene Springfield metro area, and the two deaths we had in Lane County were also located in the Eugene Springfield metro area. That means there were two cases outside of the Eugene Springfield metro area and, and mind you, our county is the size of the state of Connecticut. So two cases in that whole area that's outside those two, that metro area, you know, in that 4,000 miles minus the about 60 square, 4,000 square miles minus the 60 square miles that's Eugene Springfield. So, um, you know, <laughs> in over 3,500 square miles, two cases. And yeah, so, Thinking about that and looking at that map and the coast counties and everything else they have low, and all those rural counties, it's really the Willamette Valley and those concentrated larger urban communities that have been the epicenter of the COVID outbreak in Oregon. And I wouldn't even call Oregon an outbreak. We've actually been very lucky. So I think we need to um, work towards having the ability to make decisions about businesses reopening and give more flexibility to local governments to make those decisions. And I actually asked for that in our board meeting. Um, this, the, the governor has proposed a plan for reopening Oregon and basically has the counties doing it as the entire county and, and requesting permission from the state to do so and meeting all these tick marks for the state 
and not being able to really make much decisions that go outside of a framework the governor's proposed. Um, and to me, that, that leads to not understanding local decision-making and all that. Because if you were to take Lane County as a whole, it might be a lot different because you have to look at that, that small portion of Eugene Springfield along with Oak Ridge and Dune City, who may be ready to open. So um, that's where I'm looking for some flexibility and some flexibility in trying to think about some businesses, you know, not all hair salons are equal. They may not have all their chairs as far apart. They may have a lot more chairs and a lot more clients and, a, and then a waiting area that has to be occupied. I know of a, a hair salon that has one charity and one owner operator. I think they might be able to figure out a way to socially isolate and keep that clean and prevent transmission and maybe be an exception to a rule of keeping all hair salons closed but we don't have the local ability right now under the governor's plan to do that. So I see we've got a caller on the line and I don't like to keep callers waiting. So I'm bringing Sherry on the line and uh, what, what's your question, comment, or, or how do you want to take us on the Bose Nose Show today? Well, this is Sherry from Gossipy Florence. And um, we, I know there's a uh, coastal corral that is a meeting online that's going to happen this Friday uh, at, at 10 in the morning all along the coast. And I wanted to know if you were attending that and what you're planning on, how you're planning on representing Lane County, what your thoughts are for that. Yeah, so I, I saw that come up in my Facebook feed, and I clicked attending because I figured it looked like something I might want to listen into, um, and hopefully I'll be able to. Um, I, I, I'm being pulled in many directions during this COVID-19 thing, and everybody wants me to attend uh, Zoom meetings all over the place. <laughs> but I'm hoping to be there on that meeting, and if I do get an ability to talk and converse with the uh, legislators and, and any federal representatives that might be on the line, I am going to ask for um, some flexibility to make local decisions about allowing businesses to reopen that can prove to us that they can maintain social distancing, they can maintain uh, cleanliness um, and sanitation and uh, have, have a plan um, also even to track their, their clientele that has come in and out of their business so that if there is a problem uh, with one customer, we have the ability to look at all the customers maybe that were in that business the next 24 hours, our case management folks. So, you know, that's what I'm going to ask for is, is give us the ability as the local public health authorities to make more localized decisions around some of these things like that, like that one chair, single operator owner um, hair salon seems like she should be able to, sanitize her station between customers, have her customers wait out in the car until she comes out and weighs them in, um, ask her customers to wear a face mask while she wears one, and uh, wash her hands uh, prior to and after a customer um, so she's not, you know, bringing anything over from customer to customer. That business ought to be open, you know, and, and 
Mind you, I imagine mm-hmm. she'd have a waiting line for people to get their hair cut right now. Oh, yeah. But uh, that's Absolutely. what I'd represent. What, what would you like me to represent, Sherry? Um, that was a really good example. I think uh, the key thing is the the coast has kind of been left alone in terms of, you know, large infections or anything. And we're also, you know, a big business area. Uh, and the revenue that comes from our coastal cities, Florence is one of those where tourism is absolutely key to the survival of our small businesses. And so I would just love to have what you're saying be representative of those kind of thoughts as opposed to I'm worried about that meeting being all about how all the federal funding they're going to be providing to Oregon and that kind of stuff. It would be great if they actually can hear from the commissioners and and respond to what the reality is. So thank you for yeah. uh, you. You're you're right in tune with with uh, what we're thinking. So great, yeah. But I don't also want to jump the gun and and have the first weekend of spring break issue over again, where people are traveling into no. Florida coastal communities that might bring the virus with them. So we need to. We need to be smart about what we do. And, and like I said, there should be some local ability to, to think, you know, business by business. You know, Darling's Resort, if, every, if they only open for RV campers that are fully contained and, and keep their shower and bathroom facilities closed, um, you know, why couldn't they be open? And, if, and particularly if they only take reservations from Oregon residents. Because those folks right. come and they completely self-contained on their campsite and then between you know between campers maybe have to keep the campsite open for 24 hours or or have to sanitize all the hookup um, handles and knobs and everything else you know as you hook up an RV Um, that seems to me to be a business that could reopen that may not necessarily be a huge draw for out-of-staters and out-of-area too much too far or at least, and if they do right. come, they stay in their RV, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, that's so, a good yeah. example. And the folks, the folks in Florence are, we're, you know, everybody's quite worried about an influx of folks from, you know. Yeah. All right, Sherry. Well, I appreciate you calling in, and I hope to be on that that um, coastal. I, I forgot what they called it. Co- co- it's not like caucus call or whatever. Yeah. Um, 10 o'clock on Friday. And I think it's easy to find on Facebook um, because I think it's posted in a couple of the Florence Facebook pages there. So uh, I, maybe I'll, I'll hear your voice on Friday. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Sherry. Thank you for calling. Jay, I'm going to jump in here for a second. Do you want to show people what you're doing with your hands? Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I have cat that jumped in my lap in the middle of the show. This often happens during the Bo's Nose show as I have visitations from the pets. And she's in my lap purring away. Now she's going to leave because I she doesn't like she doesn't like the camera. What can I say? Cats are champion social distancers, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. I can imagine what it looked like. Uh, yeah, you got seeing my hand move or something. 
I didn't realize she was out of camera. Um, With my imagination, Jay. <laughs> now, now. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, the magic of Facebook Live. Um, so that Sherry just showed everybody how you can jump into the Bose Nose Show, take the conversation where you want it to go. That was sort of related to the topic, but it was a completely different thing. You know, this they've got this um, group meeting coming up. Uh, where they're trying to get a um, like a forum going uh, on Friday of, of the coast, and they're inviting the legislators and some federal officials to get in on the on this Facebook Live uh, broadcast. Uh, we'll see how unwieldy or and how useful it is, but I'm going to try and be on there myself. And if I do get a chance to talk, you heard me tell Sherry what I'm, I'm going to be be trying to promote. So. Um, you can call us anytime at 646-721-9887. Do like Sherry did. You punch one so we get a little question mark up on our board here. That lets us know you want to talk and not just listen because you're walking away from your computer right now. So getting back to the, the whole idea of Oregon, and I was sort of getting to what I told Sherry was getting some local um, authority and delegating that authority downhill a little bit. And, and I can tell you there's a difference of opinion even up and down the coast. The folks from the North Coast that were so overwhelmed in that first weekend of spring break, Tillamook County, Clatsop County, and even Lincoln County, don't want to reopen. They're very much dead set against reopening anything that would draw tourism. So they've actually extended a ban on short-term rental and, and vacation rentals uh, taking reservations um, that they had in place. I'm a little bit questioning about their, their legal constitutional authority to do that without actually compensating owners for the loss of income. And uh, sorry, now I have poodles trying to mess with a cat that's by my feet. Uh, Louis speaks. Uh, <laughs> you might see tails in the background. <laughs> and Louis nudging the, the, the computer. Yes, it's an animal day. Um, so, uh, you know, they have a different issue they're concerned about. And, and their concern is their draw for Portland and Salem and even Washington State that have had much higher counts of COVID cases and deaths than other areas. In the southern coast, our tourism actually, a lot of it comes from the counties that those coastal towns are in. Um, a lot of the people that come to Florence, the vast majority of those folks that come down there are from Lane County, which has not had a very heavy uh, hit. Uh, the folks that go over to Reedsport and Charleston, North Bend, uh, come out of Douglas County which has not been heavily hit. You know, Curry County is down there with Joseph, you know, folks coming over from Josephine. They might have some coming up from California, um, but they're not as concerned. They're more concerned about that issue. And the balance we face, are faced right now is continuing some of these closures and preventative measures is creating poverty. And, you know, when do you get to the point where the poverty you're creating 
is worse than the the COVID virus maybe spreading a little further into the community. You know, so we, we, we're at that starting to get to some of these tipping points. And, you know, what damage are we doing long term to the U.S. economy by running up the federal deficit the way we are right now with these huge bailouts that they're passing right now in Washington, D.C.? That, you know, when, you know, what is our federal debt? going to be at the end of all of this and are you know is that going to encumber um you know folks 20 years from now 30 years from now it's going to make it difficult to continue um some of the entitlement programs and and everything else that we've started in this country you know you know the longer we keep going with social distancing and closures the more we're going to have to keep putting out in the way of, of um, federal debt, um, the longer we're going to not be getting revenue into our local government coffers, the bigger the impact is going to be on local government and state government services. Um, that's all in the balance here. And um, I'm kind of the opinion that we can get to the point now where local governments can look at the on-the-ground situation much better than a state government. And I also believe that, you know, even if we offered the ability to open up, not all businesses are going to jump in there and do that because they realize they may not be able to maintain good social distancing, protect their employees, and protect their customers. And customers may not show up to a business that chooses to open, that they don't feel comfortable um, you know, patronizing. So I think, you know, there'll be some self-discipline. And we've even seen that in the states that have kind of gone blanket reopen and and um, maybe gone further than what, you know, Oregon's planning in their phase one. The state of Georgia was going to allow gyms to reopen, and there are several gym owners that said, we don't think we can do it. We can't sanitize our equipment fast enough and often enough to feel like we're being safe. So we're not going to open, even though the state was going to allow them to do it. Now, the personal trainer that has a one-on-one type gym, that might be a different story. They might be able to, you know, to open or, or you know, that has maybe a, a, a very small gym that, that has classes of less than 10 come through, you know, one at a time or something. There may be ways to, to do that, but some of these folks uh, that own some of these larger gyms with multiple stations, it just said, you know, we, yeah, thank you, Georgia, but no thank you. We're not going to reopen. Um, so, you know, have some faith in, in, the, in the American businessmen and in the consumer to understand when they're safe and not safe. So, which leads me to you know, a different subject entirely somewhat here on the Bo's Nose Show, and that is the mandate for wearing masks that some businesses are putting in place. And I'm a little concerned because not everybody has access to a mask. And then I, you know, but then, of course, if you have a square piece of cloth, you know, that's approximately 18 by 18, you can fold it in half diagonally so it's a triangle and maybe, you know, make one fold 
along that triangle edge and tie it around your face. If you look at my Facebook icon, I've got one on. I just used a bandana. <laughs> That's a mask. It'll probably get you into Costco. You know, whether it's a, a uh, square tea towel or whatever you think will work that you can actually get a knot in and tie behind your head, uh, give it a try. You know, I, I've seen some pretty inventive face masks out there. Um, don't recommend, you know, underwear and a few other things that I've seen on Facebook, but you know, we can manage to do that. But, you know, is it going to become like a government mandate for face mask? And are we going to start having to enforce that? Which leads me to Robin's story today, where she was in the middle of breaking news here in Eugene and Lane County. So, Robin, take it away with our breaking news from West Eugene. And now the news here on Caribbean Internet News Talk Radio. <clears throat> Did that ham it up enough? Yes. <laughs> there was uh, some police action today out on West 11th involving at least six police cars and one motorcycle. Um, some of them were armed, showing rifles. The uh, theory is is that uh, somebody was caught walking down the street without wearing a mask. Ooh, and they might have gotten within six feet of somebody and coughed. Ooh, God. Now, I understand there was even a police presence on, on you know, down on uh, West 5th Avenue on the uh, – I guess, or West First Avenue on the other side of the woods there. Because um, what apparently happened, here's the real news story, was somebody um, grabbed a gun, a rifle, in Monzama Sporting Goods there at West 11th and Bailey Hill and ran out the door and ran for it and apparently ran into the woods back there. So they had police on both sides of the uh, – the, that kind of wetlands area that, that is separates the uh, West 11th area from the West 1st area there in West Eugene between uh, Burleson and Seneca. And uh, quite the police presence. And because they stole a gun, you can imagine that the police were a little bit concerned that, you know, maybe he also had ammo with him and got the gun loaded and was now in the woods with a rifle. Um, so they uh, had a pretty high presence there, but it, no, it wasn't somebody that didn't wear their mask. We just thought we'd throw that in there. A little humor today on the Bose Nose Show. But it is surprising, though, that some states have really gone pretty overboard, and you kind of wonder about some of the constitutional issues around this, which kind of brings me to another question that I've seen online, and a question I'm going to ask maybe some of our local attorneys that might listen to Bo's Nose Show to look into, it has been brought to my attention that under Oregon's Constitution, and the governor is granted certain emergency powers where she can declare an emergency and take actions under that emergency declaration. But our Constitution limits that ability to 30 days maximum time 
without having the legislature convene and extend the emergency beyond the 30 days. Now, the governor declared her emergency back on in March. I think March 8th was the day she declared her emergency and took all these emergency actions to close businesses and everything. That means 30 days is done in early April. We're well beyond that. We're almost May. So has she violated the Oregon Constitution? Is, is her closure orders now null and void? Um, it's a big question to answer. You know, is, is my desire for local flexibility a moot point because these businesses could choose to reopen if they wanted to? And does, my, does our ability as a Board of Health to maybe keep some of these things closed like theaters and um, large event venues and, and, you know, who knows what, like uh, events like the Oregon Country Fair or something like that, um, has that gone away because the Oregon governor didn't get the legislature to extend her emergency authority? So, you know, I'm not a lawyer. You know, I... I I play one in a commercial sometimes, but <laughs> and I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. So I'm asking some of these attorneys to look into this. Has Kate Brown exceeded her constitutional authority under her emergency powers? And with that, have actually my powers to limit things also been curtailed as a commissioner? And are businesses free to reopen? no matter what kind of business they are, and no matter whether they decide to social distance and clean things or not. You know, so big question out there on the Internet right now is, is, is Governor Kate Brown's emergency authority still constitutionally legal? No one's challenged it yet in court, but my guess is there's going to be somebody that's going to come out and challenge it. So all you attorneys out there that maybe have some free time because you're not in court because a lot of your court stuff's been canceled, um, grab that Oregon Constitution and state statutes and look it up, and you can email me, um, talk at KRBN Internet Radio, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll get that email, or you can just, you know, Facebook message us here at, at – um, Caribbean Internet News Talk Radio on Facebook, and you can also uh, do it to my commissioner's page. You can message me there or, you know, message me on my personal page um, on Facebook. Uh, I'll, get the, I'll get that information, or you can send it to my commissioner's email address. But I'm looking for that answer to that question because it's a big question. So I talked a little bit about my desire maybe to have some local flexibility. I asked my fellow board members on yesterday to support writing a letter to the governor to ask her for just that flexibility. And you might say, well, what was the reaction of your fellow board members, Jay? Hey, Jay, what was the reaction? Well, it was pretty interesting. I think Commissioner Joe Burney thought it was a pretty good idea because he seemed to be ready to give a head nod towards that. Commissioner Sorensen was pretty non-supportive in a lot of ways uh, and was trying to put all sorts of fences around it and basically say, 
you know, only if this, that, and the other thing, and, and I, you know, and really, you know, I, I expect him to not be supportive if it does come to a vote. Uh, Commissioner Buck really wasn't uh, all that warm to it. Didn't ex- wasn't as a, as um, obstructionist. And Commissioner Farr, you know, um, seemed to want to, um, as long as it everything stayed within what our public health um, uh, uh, doctor has to say, Dr. Lubke, you know, had put out these seven uh, basic pillars to reopening. He wanted, you know, as long as it fit into those. Um, so it was kind of, it was interesting, you know, that there wasn't a, an immediate jump towards that, except for the the one commissioner that shares something in common with me. We both have signed the front side of paychecks. I'll say, you know, Commissioner Bernie and I are not exactly alike when it comes to some some things, you know, climate change and some of the progressive and and, and labor issues, et cetera. But both of us have owned businesses and signed the front side of paychecks. And we're both hearing from our constituencies about I could be open and operate if you would just let me, and I can do it safely. And and he was definitely there with me as a former business owner, understanding just what this closure is doing to some of these small businesses and their ability to survive and what it's doing to their employees and, and everybody else that depends on some of the the wealth those businesses generate and the incomes that they distribute and, um, you know, that, you know, benefit the community as a whole and keep people out of poverty and keep them from getting to the point where they're going to have the stress, the lack of maintenance of health, the poor diet, everything else that comes along with poverty that's going to result in poor health outcomes long-term poor health outcomes, shortened lifespans. So, you know, it was interesting to see that kind of split a little bit in the board there yesterday. And it'll be interesting to see that we kind of gave it to staff to write the letter for us and uh, see one, whether how close staff comes to my version of what I wanted or towards Pete Sorensen's version, somewhere in the middle, and whether the board you know, how we edit it next week and approve it where it's actually going to be an action item that's it's going to be discussed openly and voted on. So you'll get to see and hear what your board thinks about the ability to have some local control over reopening businesses individually. You know, mind you, I do have one concern with it. This could create a huge workload issue for our staff in reviewing applications to reopen from from businesses that aren't covered by the phase one blanket reopening um, that might come with phase one. Although right now it seems like the only thing the governor is interested in, in getting open right now is elective surgeries, which is great. I've got a friend that's been waiting for a hip replacement since this happened. He was scheduled to go in the day they shut it down and they canceled his hip replacement and, you know, when you get to the point where they're going to replace your hip, you're usually not too comfortable in this world and you're limited in your activities 
and he's been having to live through that this entire time uh, when he was, you know, know, it takes a while to get him scheduled in the first place. So he's already living with the pain and discomfort and the limitations of his activities. And now we've just extended it that much longer. So he's one of the people that's, you know, very top of the list to get a surgery if they allow those to start. So I'm hopeful for my friend uh, to get his hip, uh, his new hip, his bionic hip. Yeah, who would have thought when the $6 million man was on all those years ago that we would, you know, nowadays it, it's just commonplace for people to get metal parts in their body. Uh, yes, um, I digress again. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see as we have that discussion next week, something to pay attention to um, as we move forward. And uh, we're also going to have a conversation about redistricting and providing better direction to staff. And it'll be interesting to see which commissioners support the idea of a um, charter amendment to remove the commissioner's ability to pick their own voters from the commissioners and have it moved to an independent and hopefully um, uh, you know, much more fair process, you know, you know, having a citizens um, charter, citizens redistricting committee that's built into our charter. Because um, if it's not a charter amendment, if it's only an ordinance, our charter still says we have to adopt the districts. Whatever process we put in in front of that um, doesn't matter. We can we can change it last minute, adopt our own districts. So it seems to me that any commissioner that expresses a desire to not do a charter amendment is doing so because they want the ability to gerrymander and pick their own voters. So pay attention to that redistricting item when it comes up next week in front of the commissioners, because that will also be a telltale as to who supports fair redistricting that is not going to benefit one side of the political spectrum or another. It's going to just get good, compact geographic districts that are contiguous, follow geographic boundaries, keep communities uh, together um, and, and as much as possible and balance the population as closely as possible. That's what's supposed to happen out of all this not some, you know, politically steered process to benefit somebody electorally. So if you see commissioners pushing next week to not do a charter amendment, they are pushing to be in control of that process because the only way we're not controlled is we have to amend our charter, which we have to put out to the voters. So we actually have a draft charter amendment that was provided by an outside group um, that's based on a League of Women Voters um, proposal for statewide um, citizens uh, redistricting committee. It's just been boiled down to apply for Lane Lane County in our charter. Um, So we actually have most of it written. I would think, though, we need to get out and get some public comment and see if it's what people want us to put on the ballot before we actually put it there. 
but we, you know, the ballot deadlines are in July. We have to start really, you know, hitting some deadlines in July. We still have time to get something out there for the public to look at and review um, to make the November election because we can only amend our charter in even years. And even if the census is delayed, it'll still probably happen um, the redistricting sometime in 2021, maybe maybe later in 2021, um, but it'll still be before the next even year and probably before the next even year, May or November election when we're allowed to amend our charter. So keep an eye on the board meeting next week. Should be some interesting things happening. Local control of the COVID reopening process the ability to approve exceptions, et cetera. Redistricting, pulling it out of the commissioner's hands and into a independent citizen-led redistricting committee. Follow those two items. They'll tell you a lot about the basic philosophies of the commissioners and how they vote and how they discuss those because that's two very interesting topics, um, local control and do I want to be able to gerrymander my districts? Yeah. So it should be pretty revealing and something you may want to put in your back pocket and remember when it comes to when those commissioners get reelected, what they support on both of those issues. So It'll be an interesting board meeting next week, and, uh, and uh, it'll be interesting. Once again, it'll be one of these uh, virtual meetings because I don't think we'll be reopened in Harris Hall anytime in the near future. So you can watch it online live. Of course, it's always recorded, so you can come back and rewatch the webcast. Um, and in fact, the webcast are one of the best ways to rewatch it because you can actually click a link on our agenda that's off to the side of the webcast and go straight to the agenda item that you want to watch rather than having to watch stuff that you don't care about. So just a helpful tip there from Commissioner Bozovich on how not to have to watch three hours worth of meeting for a 10-minute discussion that you really wanted to listen to. <laughs> Um, but I have a feeling that both that redistricting conversation and the reopening for COVID conversations are going to be longer than 10 minutes. So we've covered a lot of territory here on the Bo's Nose Show today. Um, I am pleased we got a phone call in here. I'm happy that Sherry got in and got to talk about what she wanted to talk about. Hopefully next week you can give me a call here on the Bose Nose Show and we'll have a conversation and talk about anything you want to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show. Although we do kind of concentrate on Lane County and Lane County issues, we'll talk about state. Uh, we'll talk about your locality, like the city you're in, or we'll talk about national stuff. We'll talk about non-political and non-government stuff like standard poodles and catch that jump in my lap in the middle of the show. <laughs> so hope you had a great week. Thank you for listening to Bo's Nose Show. We'll be back next week, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week. <laughs>